For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, why, in a time of drought, are some voices advocating for draining the water in Lake Powell and decommissioning Glen Canyon Dam? In this special episode, Vanessa Barchfield dives deep into the debate. That story is next on Arizona Spotlight. The Glen Canyon Institute was formed over two decades ago with a radical mission to resurrect Glen Canyon. Many considered the canyon, submerged under Lake Powell, one of the jewels of the Southwest. But as water levels have declined on the Colorado River and a devastating drought marches into its 19th consecutive year, the Institute says its idea is no longer a fringe environmentalist movement, but a viable solution for ensuring the future of the West's water supply. Next, Vanessa Barchfield brings us a closer look. Ever since Glen Canyon Dam was completed in 1963, people have talked about tearing it down. People have always uh, resented that dam, and a lot of people consider it to be our country's biggest environmental mistake. A mistake that killed a canyon and damaged a river. Rivers are supposed to run. They're not supposed to be dammed up. Edward Abbey wrote about a plot to blow up the dam in his novel, The Monkey Wrench Gang. Here he is talking about the dam and the infrastructure around it. I see this as an invasion. These look like uh, creatures from Mars to me. The dream of bringing down Glen Canyon Dam and draining the lake that it holds has survived these 55 years, mostly on the fringe. But as the West heads into its 19th year of drought and water levels on Lake Powell and the Colorado River drop, is it an idea whose time has come? For those of you holding tickets for the 1030 tour of Glen Canyon Dam, we're now ready to start security. I'm in northern Arizona, near the Utah border, with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation's Marlin Duke. Yeah, I'm Marlin Duke. I'm the public affairs officer for the Upper Colorado region, uh, out of Salt Lake City. Can you could you describe to me where we are right now? Oh yeah, this so we're on top of Glen Canyon Dam, looking north at Lake Powell as it curves around the sandstone. Uh, you know, up over the hill is Wawweep Marina, where you can put your boats in. If we turn and look south, then you see the river, and and you see you know that ribbon of water that's going to the south and. You know, to me, that's a, an interesting image as we see the water that we store here for the upper basin, the water that we release there for the lower basin, and all the people that that's supporting, you know, 40 million plus people who rely on this water. Those 40 million people live all over the West, from Denver to Phoenix and Tucson, San Diego, even L.A. We all depend on that ribbon of water, which, of course, is the Colorado River. Glen Canyon Dam and Lake Powell are two fundamental pieces in the puzzle that is Western water infrastructure. Before we get to the future of Glen Canyon Dam, though, let's talk about its past. Glen Canyon, before the dam was put in, um, was considered by a lot of the early river runners and explorers and, and native peoples to be kind of the panacea of the Colorado Plateau. 
a lot of the early river runners considered it to be more beautiful than the Grand Canyon. That's Eric Balkin. He runs the Glen Canyon Institute, one of the organizations that's pushing the idea of draining Lake Powell. Eric's 31, so the dam had already been standing for more than two decades by the time he was born, meaning he never got to see the canyon before it was filled with water. I didn't either. But a few years ago, my colleague Gisela Tellis interviewed Katie Lee, a Hollywood starlet, singer, writer, and environmentalist who died last year at 98. I'm probably best known for my bad mouth and my, uh, my activism. I wish I were recognized more for my writing because I don't think my writing's bad at all. One of the other things she's remembered for is a series of nude photos taken of her in the canyon before it was flooded. Eden couldn't have touched this place. No. The breezes, they talk to you. And uh, you can talk back and get answers. Some of the vistas were so beautiful, we just stood there and cried. How come? Here I go. The decision to build a dam at Glen Canyon uh, was it's a it's a political dam. It's there for political purposes, and it's because it's the dividing line between the upper Colorado River Basin and the lower Colorado River Basin. And that dividing line is important. That's because every drop of water in the river has been divvied up and allocated to cities and farmers and tribes all over the West. Actually, when it comes to the lower basin, more than every drop has been allocated. But we'll get to that a bit later. The law of the river requires that the upper basin states, those are Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, have to deliver a certain amount of water to the lower basin states, California and Arizona and Nevada, as well as to Mexico each year. And water rights were first handed out based on who put it to use first. So back in the 50s, California was growing, using more and more water. The thrill of Southern California is in the air. The upper basin states started thinking they'd lose out on water and not be able to meet their obligations to the lower basin states if they didn't figure out a way to store it. The answer was a reservoir, a counterbalance to Lake Mead, which the lower basin was already storing its water in. So there was some discussion and debate on where this reservoir was going to be. Uh, some earlier proposals would have built a large reservoir up near Dinosaur National Monument. That monument sits on the border of Utah and Colorado. The Sierra Club in particular strongly opposed a reservoir there. So locating it here at Glen Canyon became a compromise. We didn't believe it when we first heard that they were going to dam that canyon. Glen Canyon Dam. This is from a 1961 documentary about construction. A huge construction project bisected by a 700-foot-deep canyon and no way to cross. The film was made by the Bureau of Reclamation, or as Katie Lee refers to it, the Wreck the Nation Bureau, because they wreck the nation. That's what they do best. (laughs) Actually, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation is the federal agency that manages the Colorado River system. They poured the last drop of cement in the dam in 1963. Here's Eric Balkin. After Glen Canyon Dam was built, uh, the ecosystem of, of course, Glen Canyon, which was completely inundated with water, uh, was more or less destroyed below the high water mark. Downstream in the Grand Canyon, it has totally wreaked havoc on 
on the Grand Canyon ecosystem. Reclamation's Marlon Duke thinks about things differently. As human beings, we, we change the environment around us. So anywhere we go, and this is just, it's, it's maybe part of the human condition. We, we need resources to survive, and, and we find ways to, to make those resources available. So here at Glen Canyon is, is no exception. For many years, Glen Canyon Dam was working just as it was designed to. Lake Powell was full and providing a sustainable water supply across the West. But today, things have changed. Paul Davidson is also with me on the dam. I'm a hydraulic engineer. He says the last time the lake was totally full was in 2000. And then came the drought. Today, Lake Powell is about 48% full and Lake Mead, 38% full. And nature has a way of highlighting just how low the lake has fallen. There's a big white strip on the face of the sandstone. Yep, that's the bathtub ring here. It's uh, same as Lake Mead as the water drops. You know, there's the discoloration on the on the stone. That white strip is going to get bigger because there was so little snow last winter. This is the observation room for the power plant. And if you look out of the glass there, you can see our eight generators. Glen Canyon Dam is also a major hydropower plant, providing electricity across the west. And dropping water levels is a problem because of something called minimum power pool. The minimum power pool elevation is the elevation where you start introducing air into the, into the power turbines, which would be very bad. Today, the lake's still about 106 feet above minimum power pool, but it takes just a few more dry winters to drop it to that level. And if it drops more, you can't produce any power. Farther down the river on Lake Mead, water levels are also dropping. Today, Mead is just about four feet above the point at which a shortage will be declared. The Bureau of Reclamation says there's a 57% chance that Mead will fall into shortage by the year 2020. When that shortage is declared, it's farmers in central Arizona that are going to lose water first. But if the lake continues to drop, cities will face cutbacks as well. And the real danger point is something called Deadpool. Deadpool, not the Marvel character, um, but Deadpool is the term we use for the water at the bottom of the reservoir. Deadpool is river talk for the water that's too low to be released from the outlets at Hoover Dam, meaning it's stuck and will not be flowing downstream. Keep in mind, Tucson gets the vast majority of its water from CAP, which comes directly out of Lake Mead. So in other words, Deadpool would be very bad for us. The Lake Powell situation, though, is a bit different from Mead. So while cities have straws in Lake Mead that they're sucking water out of, Powell actually doesn't provide water directly to any places other than the tiny town of Page. Paul Davidson puts it this way. Lake Powell is sort of like a savings account for the upper basin states that they can be assured that they'll meet their obligations to delivering water to the lower basin. That savings account is going down, and one of the reasons for that is climate change, says Brad Udall of Colorado State University. Now, you might recognize Brad's last name. So my father was Morris Udall, and he represented Arizona in the U.S. House for nearly 30 years from the 1960s into the early 1990s. His uncle, Stuart Udall, was Secretary of the Interior in the 60s under Presidents Kennedy and Johnson. Both Stuart and Morris Udall played key roles in creating the Central Arizona Project. And then finally, the, the forebear that in some ways that's the most fun is that I'm the great great-grandson of John D. Lee. Lee founded Lee's Ferry, which sits right below Glen Canyon Dam. 
These days, a lot of people start rafting trips through the Grand Canyon from Lee's Ferry. Anyway, back to the research. Brad and his collaborators, two scientists at UCLA, connected the declining flows of the Colorado River to rising temperatures caused by climate change. In this new research, we show that in the Colorado River Basin, about 50% of the decline since the year 2000 has been due to elevated temperatures. It's a really stunning finding. And this latest finding builds on research that Brad published last year with Jonathan Overpeck, formerly of the University of Arizona and now at the University of Michigan. So one of the things we did in the paper last year was look at how the projected temperatures are going to affect flows going forward. And what we found was approximately a 20% loss of the flow by mid-century and maybe 35% or more by end of the century due to the increased evaporation that is associated with these higher temperatures. In other words, in the future, there will be a lot less water in the river, and that'll drive down the Lake Powell bank account even more. Reclamation's Paul Davidson says, yes, levels are dropping, but some years they do go back up. And looking back into the past, this has happened before. We know through tree ring studies that have been done in the University of Arizona that a drought like what we're experiencing now might seem really significant, but going back into the history of the basin, we see significant droughts that are actually even longer and more deep. So we know that mega droughts have happened in the past. What's interesting from a climate science perspective is there is compelling research that indicates in this century we are quite likely, perhaps as much as 80% or more, likely to have a, an extended mega drought. And a mega drought in this century would be worse because of these higher temperatures. And so, you know, a mega drought could lead to very radical flow declines. And so the foundations of Colorado River policy... Eric Balkin again. ...are sort of falling apart at the seams. And that's breathing life into the idea that in the past was considered outlandish. The dream of draining Lake Powell. There are a number of different ideas as to what this would look like. Some groups would like to see the dam torn down. The more recent proposal is called Phil Mead First. It's the one Eric Balkin's organization is pushing. So right now, water from Lake Powell is released from the Glen Canyon Dam. It then flows along the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon and then over to Lake Mead. The Phil Mead first proposal is this. Instead of storing water in two reservoirs, put all the water in Lake Mead. You could completely drain Lake Powell into Lake Mead right now and Lake Mead still wouldn't be full. Eric says an important point to Phil Mead first is that they're not calling for the monkey wrenching of Glen Canyon Dam. Uh, we're not necessarily advocating the decommissioning of the dam so much as the a re-operation of Glen Canyon Dam. And part of our proposal of the Phil Mead first proposal is that if uh, against all odds and against all the projections that are coming out, there is more water in the system, you would leave the dam in place and you could use Glen Canyon Dam as a backup. Eric says there'd be a number of benefits. First would be revitalizing Glen Canyon. Could you ever restore Glen Canyon back to what it was before the dam? The short answer is no, 
And the long answer is that we can get a lot of it back. And we, we've already seen this happen, and it's, you know, it's happening right now in a bunch of the side canyons. These canyons were sort of written off for dead a long time ago. But what we've seen since Lake Powell has gone down over the last 15 years is that once they are given a chance, these side canyons come back in a very strong way. They, in some cases, restore so well that you wouldn't even know that there was a reservoir there. The restoration of Glen Canyon is Eric's organization's founding mission. But he says there are other reasons to do it as well. For one, using a single reservoir would keep a lot of water in the system. When you have a system where you have reservoirs that are less than half full, it's actually not the most efficient way to store water because you lose water to seepage and evaporation. Now, there's really only been one big study done about how much water is lost to evaporation and seepage into the sandstone at Lake Powell. And that was led by Jack Schmidt of Utah State University. You know, I think Jack's conclusions are that you actually don't save very much water uh, doing that. The study shows that while seepage of water into the sandstone was high in the early days of Lake Powell's life, today, the sandstone is basically saturated, kind of like a sponge that's been left in water, so it's not sucking more water out of the lake. Jack Schmidt's study also finds that there wouldn't be much change in the water lost to evaporation. But Marlon Duke concedes that measuring evaporation on Powell is quite difficult. We haven't really had an apples-to-apples apples, uh, type comparison as far as the technology that we're using here to track evaporation compared to the technology that they're using down at Lake Mead. So clearly, more research needs to be done. And Eric Balkin says that's exactly what he's pushing for. Now, there's one other major consideration in this debate, and that's on the policy side. I've heard of Colorado River politics described both as a chess game, with the basins and sometimes even states playing against each other, and also as a tango, with partners dancing in a carefully choreographed routine. In either case, you really don't want to rock the boat. A lot of people see the idea of filling me first as just, you know, throwing a grenade in the, in the management of that system. Um, a lower basin state is never going to come out and say, we need to fill me first, um, you know, because it would look, that would look like a battle cry. But Eric says, politics aside, basin states need to start considering this option because it might happen by default anyways, even if nobody wants it to. And that's because the Colorado River system is in decline. So we, we disagree with Eric on, on that perspective. Uh, and I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to read tea leaves that you can't read. Hydrology's dynamic and hydrology changes. And these storage reservoirs are here for a purpose and they're meeting that purpose. Uh, to, to say that Lake Powell will never be full again I, I think that's a position that it, it, it's, not, it, it's not backed up in fact, history, or science. And Paul Davidson says it's not Powell that's in trouble. Uh, actually, it's the opposite. Lake Mead is the one that continues to go down because of overallocation in the lower basin. Lake Powell recovers storage quite often, which we've seen during this drought. It's not Lake Powell that's going to go dry. It's probably Lake Mead that's going to go dry. That's a grim prospect for those of us who live in the lower basin. What Paul means by overallocation is this. Last century, when the river was being divided and rights to water given out, there was no drought. Flows on the Colorado River were really high. Allocations of the water are now based on what was flowing in those years. So really, 
are not a reflection of today's reality. This is something called the structural deficit. A structural deficit. There's a structural deficit. Structural deficit. What is a structural, a structural deficit? deficit? It causes Lake Mead to drop about 12 feet each year. Basically, if it weren't for conservation efforts and users deciding to keep water that they're entitled to in Lake Mead, a shortage would have already been declared. The system was sort of doomed from the beginning because it was overpromised. So aside from, you know, what's happening with climate change and growing populations, the law of the river was flawed from the beginning. So, you know, a, a big reckoning is going to come to the management of the river no matter what. I asked Brad Udall if he's seen any viable solutions for changing how the river is managed. No, I, I haven't seen any. But if you're going to make major changes to the system, you really need to have an open and transparent process that gets the values and needs and the economy of the region and environment of the region into the mix so that you know we can have a thoughtful discussion about what a drier future looks like. And if Brad's climate change research is right, the future on the Colorado River is going to look very different than its past. Back on the landing of the Glen Canyon Dam, I can see a few boats bobbing up and down on the surface of Lake Powell. Maybe the people on those boats know that they're floating above a canyon that we flooded. Maybe they don't. And Paul Davidson says, yeah, Glen Canyon must have been a beautiful place. But this is pretty beautiful, too. It still has beauty to it that is probably more open to a larger portion of society. So. I, I guess it just depends on which side of the pendulum you want to be on. So do you think, I mean, obviously this is a hypothetical question, but if we had the information in 1956, 57 that we have now based on the, the river's flows, etc., would it still make sense to build Glen Canyon Dam? I don't know. We've learned a lot, and our values have uh, changed over time. Maybe this wouldn't be an ideal place to put a storage reservoir, but we did build it and it is here, so <laughs> we have to deal with that. And he's right, Glen Canyon Dam is here right now. No matter what happens with the Phil Mead First proposal, this dam won't be around forever. Marlin and Paul say the concrete dam was built to last 700, maybe up to 1,000 years. That is just a tiny little blip on the lifespan of this canyon, which the Colorado River carved out of this sandstone five million years ago. Joining me now is reporter Vanessa Barchfield to tell us some more about the debate over Glen Canyon Dam and Lake Powell. I have a question, you know, listening to the piece, when you were standing on top of Glen Canyon Dam, what was the view? When you're standing on the platform of the dam and looking north, uh, you see sort of the, the pink sandstone that descends into Lake Powell. And for those of you who haven't been to Lake Powell, it's just a stunning color. It's really this like preternatural, steely blue color. It's really kind of otherworldly. And then if you look on the other side of the platform, of course, as Marlin describes in my piece, you see this ribbon of water, uh, which is a really sort of dark navy color. And that's the Colorado River heading towards the Grand Canyon. How much of a chance do you think the Phil Mead first proposal has of becoming a reality? 
You know, I think it's still quite a long shot. It's not really a proposal that many stakeholders are taking particularly seriously. Though, according to Eric Balkan, it doesn't matter if they're taking it seriously because it's going to happen anyway, in his view. But I think that Eric's point that there is a reckoning coming to the management of the Colorado River is a valid one. We're seeing that now. Um, Arizona's in negotiations over a lower basin drought contingency plan, and that's meant to slow the decline of Lake Mead. But yeah, I think that there's a sort of widespread recognition that the river is overallocated, and for the health of the system, things are going to need to change. Since you filed that feature that we just heard, you've also done some reporting on a new study that came out about Lake Powell. Uh, What were the findings there? So that study was put out by the Colorado River Research Group. That's a group that's formed by 10 scientists around the country, including Brad Udall. The study is about the decline of Lake Powell. One reason there's less water, as I mentioned the story, is, is that there's less water in the Colorado River. But another really crucial factor in this is that over the past few years, the Bureau of Reclamation has been releasing more water from Lake Powell into Lake Mead than what was legally required. Required. That's effectively kept the lower basin out of shortage, but it's now starting to threaten the life of Lake Powell. The lake has fallen 94 feet since 2000. I spoke with U of A professor Carl Flessa. He's another one of the authors of the report, and he said this. There's been so much focus lately on Lake Mead and water levels in Lake Mead that uh, I think Lake Powell's and the problems of Lake Powell have, uh, have been ignored. And we've got to start treating management of Lake Powell and Lake Mead in a much more coordinated fashion. Uh, He says that the reality is today that it doesn't make much sense to think of Lake Powell as belonging to the upper basin and Lake Mead to the lower basin. They're effectively one reservoir and really need to be managed as such. Here's Flessa again. The problem that we're in, and we try to think of it as a drought, but in fact, uh, at least half of the lack of water is probably a consequence of continued global warming. And I'd say that that larger global problem is a result of human activity. So to some extent, we need to stop blaming nature for some of the problems that we've been causing ourselves. And, you know, right now it's not particularly politically popular to talk about the human causes of climate change or ways to reduce our emission of fossil fuels. And that doesn't bode very well for Arizona and, of course, our main water source or for the broader Southwest. There's additional reporting on Arizona's water situation that our listeners can find online. Go to the azpm.org website and search To The Last Drop. Check out AZPM's new show, The Buzz. It premieres this week on Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. You can also hear it Saturday afternoons right after this show at 3.30 on NPR 89.1. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and through the phone app NPR One. This show originates from the AZPM radio studios. AZPM's news director is Andrea Kelly. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.